My name is Julian Wilcox and welcome to Indigenous 100, the podcast where we talk to 100 Indigenous thought leaders from around Aotearoa and the world. Thanks to Tamangai Paho for supporting this series of Indigenous 100. We really appreciate the support and thank you for the funding you give to Indigenous content. Let's turn to today's episode. It's with an incredibly talented Indigenous star, actor, Academy Award nominee, Keisha Castle-Hughes. Who can forget that favourite, seminal part of the Whale Rider film? My name is Paikea Apirana, and I come from a long line of chiefs, stretching all the way back to Hawaii. Now a star of many series on television in America, living in New York, Keisha Castle-Hughes is back in Aotearoa to support and give back to Māori content here at home. Really looking forward to this episode. I hope you are too. This is Keisha Castle-Hughes on Indigenous 100. Keisha Castle-Hughes, te Welcome to Indigenous 100. It's awesome to have you on the program. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Are you really? Yeah, I am. Don't be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I'm a little terrified. It'll end up as bathos. Yeah, exactly. It'll end up as bathos. No, it is awesome to have you. Because, and I'll tell you why, I've watched FBI. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I see you there and in Game of Thrones, I just think, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Because I don't know if you know this, but people look at you and they see you as... Well, I see was our girl. Yeah. And so when we see you doing that stuff, as impressive as it is, we go, wow, too much guilt. Oh, that's awesome. And I don't I mean, that's, do people yeah. talk about that or not? Uh, to some degree, people do. And I think, um, you know, it's something that I remain conscious of, you know, and it's like a responsibility that I have never taken lightly. Mm. I also don't, you know wear it on my back as if, you know, it's something I need to carry either. But, you know, I just think a lot about, you know, when I was growing up in terms of representation and what that looked like and there just, like, wasn't a lot of it and there wasn't a lot of um, seeing people that looked like me, you know, on screen or really, you know, in any spaces other than what I knew, Hmm. you know. And so it's kind of... um, You know, like when, yeah, sometimes it can be a little, you know, you just get into the grind of stuff sometimes and you just do the mahi and you, you know, it's like, like everyone, it's sometimes it feels like, oh, you're just at work. And then it's really nice sometimes when I come home and go, oh, that's right. There's like heaps of other Maori, other brown people all over the world, indigenous people that, you know, see people like me or others in those spaces and go, oh, that's, you know, I think something shifts in your consciousness, you know, it's like, hey, if that person's doing it, like I could. Yeah. Which is yeah, awesome. So you are aware mm-hmm. of of that, and you do you see it as a responsibility of yours? I mean, is is that fair for for I you think, to feel that way? I don't know if it's like so much a responsibility as something to like wear and hold, but I definitely it's something that I feel privileged to be able to do, yeah. you know. And I, it's something that I um, am aware of, and I think, and I you know, in trying to keep that integrity in all spaces of my own life and whatever trajectory my career goes 
and in the last decade or so it's been predominantly like based in the states you know and there was like a big expansion and shift for me like when I started working over there in terms of the roles I was hmm. offered and allowed to do which was interesting as well um and so you know I remember when I was a lot younger and I was in Aotearoa I was always a little confused by um the idea that I could only like really go for Māori roles mm. and and it, I, it never like sat right with me you know like I would read these scripts and go like oh this character is like really great and my understanding of where my career was going was that I was pretty okay at what I did and you know and so I was like well great that means I can have the opportunity to read for you know the lead in this thing and it would be like oh but oh that character's not Māori you know and it was like what? Oh, so that would happen in and auditions that would happen and a read lot, you know, really? and you know, wow. it would happen a lot, and so. But as good as you were, at your, as good as, as you are, exactly. Your, like it would, you know, yeah. and so it was this, re, you know, and it was really kind, kind of confusing, and then, and the, you know, ceiling felt, pretty low in terms of it was like okay, the opportunity didn't feel like it was going to go much, further, and, opportunity arose to leave and to go away, and I remember it was funny because then I would I got to the states and then you kind of like shift on the totem pole in a way. You know, it was like the first time where it was like, it felt like the colour of my skin had changed. You know, I got to America and people were like, well, you're white. And all of a sudden I was like, you know, almost doing haka on the street. Like, <laughs> I was like, I'm Māori, you know. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's strange. Yeah. You know, because they just, you know, it's like they just see someone who's, you know, white presenting, you're from, you know, a country that where you speak English and to them there's not, like, there wasn't back then, not, not even that long ago, it's changed a lot even in the last 15 years, yeah. but a greater understanding of Māori. And so, um, yeah, I've, I mean, I've digressed, but, yeah, so it's, I definitely, yeah, I think, but it's changed my viewpoint on what representation is as well, you know, I think in terms of, that responsibility, I think, I really believe that representation comes in all forms mm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be me playing Māori characters, you know, but I think in terms of my integrity and my kaupapa, me being in any space is a, is a big win yeah. for, you know, for me and for us. Yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, when we've seen you in those roles, and as I said, mm. I just mentioned two Game of Thrones and, and um, FBI, um, it's funny because the first thing we I see is Māori. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no matter yeah. what the role is, like, oh, yeah. she is. Yeah. Awesome, that's yeah. us. <laughs> you know, even though the role is completely different. Exactly. Not even anywhere near aligned to anything Māori, but yeah. that's what we see, and we see that as a win. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think, and also too, it's really fascinating. You know, I have been really fortunate to have within our industry, um, and industry like at large, like have friends who are other First Nations mm. or Indigenous around the world. And, you know, it's interesting because it's like within all of our own communities, it's the same. Mm. You know, we know what that means to us, you know, and maybe the big guys on the big shows that you're working in, I mean, they don't care. You know, I recently um, on the show FBI that I'm doing, you know, we had written in a Māori storyline and my character, you know, and there's not a lot of space often for like personal storylines mm. in those procedural cop shows, but it was something that I had been promised early on and something that 
had attracted me to the role and and there had been some shifts in the writers and changes as that happens and um, and it kind of got lost you know in the that was their thing and I and I fought really hard because I was like you know I know this feels like it's just not a big deal to you guys and it's just this like one episode on this in this big monster machine mm. where this character you know finds out that she is Māori but to, like I was like in my community in my world what that means to have that to, to have te reo spoken on network television mm. in America to be able to bring that to the forefront is huge it's such a massive win mm. and it you know and it was and 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 really emotional for us I think too like you know and it can be for me as well and I guess you know like my whanau I felt you know, we felt really disconnected from being Māori growing up and we're kind of like third generation, like, you know, urban refugee and, and you know, and that had all... But, I, you know, and so there's my own understanding of what being Māori was is still a big journey. Um, but I was just like, this is really important. And so when I was able to get that across the line and do that and it was, you know, and I was being met with a lot of people who were like, just give her the bloody... <laughs> Maori line, you know, they're like that kind of energy. Yeah, yeah. But it was just like, man, this is a really, really big deal for us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Have you, is that something that you consciously fought for right from the beginning? Did you write <clears throat> that into the contract? Yeah, right oh. from the beginning. And it was, um, you know, it was a big – our initial um, showrunner, he he had talked to me about it when they were first bringing me into the show. And even down to, you know, um, he'd said to me, you know, eventually I want to explore the idea that this character, you know, she's adopted and she finds out that she's Māori. And, you know, and if that's the case, you know, what would be, um, you know, an appropriate name for her? And so, you know, even right up in the beginning, her name's Hana. Mm. And, you know, and they, and that was like a perfect, you know, middle ground. It's like, yeah. you know, Paki, I can still say Hannah and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it still feels like theirs, but we know it's, you know, and yeah. it's just even just those little gems sometimes, like as an actor, like those things are so precious to carry. And like now this is a character I've played for nearly five years. To have that, to know that like, you know, that name is, you know, the original concept and idea of that was that she has a Māori name. It's really nice to be able to hold on to that. When you first went to America, was mm -hmm. it simply because you felt too limited, too constricted by Aotearoa? And was that because you'd gone as far as you could have given the impact of Whale Rider and Pike I think so. I think it was a combination of lots of things. You know, definitely it was, I didn't feel like there was enough work to sustain, mm. you know, a version of a career yeah. here. Um, and I felt really limited in terms of like what else I would, could do. You know, it was, I did Whale Rider when I was so young. It was so incredibly, dra it drastically changed the course and rewrote the course of my life, but also my family's life. You know, I grew up in Glen Innes with a single mum and, you know, five siblings. We, those, these kinds of opportunities were not on the table. Mm. They weren't even in my sight, you know, they weren't something that we saw or heard about. And so um, there was a lot of, the hard thing was, is that there was, I think, a lot of expectation that I would, like, continue on with this career. Um, but, you know, there's the practicality of, like, you know, when you come from spaces where you don't have a fallback, 
and your fallbacks are kind of statistical things, you know, and I'd also had a peppy when I was 16 mm. and I'd, you know, like kind of was living a lot of like parallel, like this was, that that was the life that felt very carved out for me and those were the options that felt available to me when I was growing up, you know, it was very, uh, you know, I w didn't have access to education that, with educators that encouraged anything beyond, you know, you kind of went to a trade school or you just like had kids and went on the benefit really, like, those, you know, those were the options and that's what I saw around me. And so um, I I just felt like if I wanted to keep doing this, you know, it was really hard also too to stay in Aotearoa and like maintain, I think, some idea of this career when like those opportunities were not presenting themselves, you know, and I wasn't actually making enough money to support myself and my family. And, and so it was like, okay, well, if I've got to give this a go, like I really have to get out. Get out. And go, you know, and really go for it. We did you get many offers after Whale Rider? I mean, I, there, mm -hmm. there's all these rumors that you hear. One I heard was that Spiel, um, Spielberg was really keen to get you. <laughs> something you hear all these. Oh, right, I don't right. know if they're true or not, but but you know that's mm -hmm. that stuff that people talk about. I definitely did, you know, and that was the other thing. It was just like because of you know my family's circumstances. It was also like, how do you manage that? Yeah. Do you know, like, how did my mum? You know, it was like, how was she to manage, like, raising other children, you know, the best she could and with the tools she had and then also, like, somehow get this kid to auditions or, like, you know. And a lot of that stuff is about accessibility, you know, and I think, you know, and the film industry especially is still very much, you know, an industry that is, you know, can be a little limited by your access. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and those things in order to, you know, the commitment that's required to get to auditions and to commit your time and to take time off school and, you know, those things require a safety net that, you know, we just didn't have. And so I think we just navigated it the best we could mm. and kind of did and figured it out as we went. And um, it just kind of kept working. And <laughs> so it was like every time it was like, okay, well, that worked and that's a win and okay, you know, and then, and then that would lead to the next job and the next job. And, and I also too, I had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of confusion around, it's like, it was a big, a huge, you know, now I can look at it a little bit with a bit of perspective as an adult, but a really huge life experience for a child. And um, there was a lot of pressure from adults, you know, going like, this is massive. Like, this is a really big deal. And you've got to, like, take this opportunity. And you've got to run with it. And you, you know, you can't miss this. And I was just like an 11-year-old girl mm -hmm. going, uh, you know, I just want to go to school. I just want to, like, have normal experiences. I didn't you know, want to seem ungrateful, you know, and so it was like, I think, you know, I had a lot of memories for a long time that existed in the space of what other people had told me about it versus my own experience mm. because I felt like I had to be excited by these things. I had to be grateful to have them. I had to, but I just didn't have any understanding of what really was the, the massive, like the magnitude of what the success of the film and the success that I had achieved. I didn't understand any of that. And so um, 
so there was definitely like a period where I really wanted to do anything but yeah. act, you know, and I wanted the opportunity to figure out whether that was actually what I wanted to do or not. You know, I was, it's, you know, it's really, it's a really unique position and there weren't very many other people to go to to ask for advice either, you know, and so it was just like, you know, I wasn't a theatre kid, I wasn't going to drama classes, I wasn't, you know, I was just like, you know, a rugged little girl going to and from school every day. And <laughs> and, you know, and, and also having to put up with a lot of pressure. A lot, yeah. From my associates in the media. Yeah. And I yeah. can't imagine, I mean, that must be unbearable mm-hmm. when you're at that age. So even if, say, at 13, yeah. right, and uh, you're under a microscope, actually, you're under a telephoto microscope, mm-hmm. where people are trying to get, get at you every day of the week, every hour of the, every hour of the day. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Yeah, it was really... And because I think, too, I was so young, it became so very quickly like just a regular part of my life that it, you know, and that I didn't really understand the feeling that I was given, and it wasn't by any one specific, but just the general collective, was that this was what came with the territory. Wow. You know, that it was just like if you achieve this kind of success or, you know, this is just what happens and you just got to suck it up and deal with it, you know. And even though intuitively I would feel like this is wrong, Mm. you know, like why can't I just go to school without having my picture taken? Why can't I go like get drunk with my mates at 14 without it ending up as a story in the paper? Why, you know, and have these really normal, regular experiences that everyone was doing and everyone does and everyone will forever do without it being you know, torn apart and, you know, and of course it was like I was severely, understandably, severely anxious teenager and, you know, and very, you know, had suffered from a lot of depression and anxiety because I was constantly questioning like what people's motives were or who I could trust or, you know, I would think I would have friends and I would tell them things and then next thing it would end up in the paper and, you know, it was just a really bizarre time but the the idea that I was given was it was just like this is just how it is mm. but it's interesting because I look back on that time I'm like mm, I just like New Zealand doesn't really do that you know like we don't it was such a bizarre you know we don't really have like paparazzi we don't really have you know I mean we can be a little tabloidy and gossipy but <laughs> but we don't you know it's not it's not actually with the territory and I and now as an adult I have like many friends who manage to live like and now I do luckily like really quiet lives and their private lives stay private and they're celebrated for what they do in their professional lives and so I think it was it was like this bizarre just combination at a time where it was I don't know, it was like all the wrong things all met in the, you know, it was like this ticking time bomb in a way. It felt to me like um, here's this really sensational, amazing, Mm -hmm. young, Māori woman Mm -hmm. and we're going to go her. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And I think too, like I very strongly feel, and this isn't a poor me in any way, that there was a lot of racial undertones yeah. that happened. Do you know, like, and yeah. and I think there was, my story wasn't, um, it wasn't a linear, nice story to tell. Do you know, like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a story about a young girl who had, like, a stable family home and went to drama classes and, like, achieved success. There was, there was a lot of skeletons in my closet, there were, in my whanau's closet. There was a lot of messiness, um, 
and and those things I don't think you know people it was just too easy to like go well what like this person in her family is an alcoholic and like now she's drinking and this you know and where's her dad oh he's nowhere you know all those kinds of things and uh, you know and and looking it's funny I like had I recently had done an interview um where the interviewer had like kind of reminded me of just in a very respectful way some of the articles and some of the things and I was just like Man, it was just crazy, you know, like writing. Bro, what are you on? Like writing stories about, like you know, there was like you know, writing stories about like how much KFC I was buying. Like, how is that not like a racial undertone? You know, like it was just like, you know, it was just like, oh, this you know, big brown family at the Papa Kuta KFC, like buying too much. You know, it's just like, really, guys, like that's the kind of stuff that we're writing about. Um, and so, and I think too, I you know when you grow up in those spaces, you already, like, you know, I already grew up with a real, like, chip on my shoulder. I grew up in, you know, spaces where people didn't really expect me to, like, do much with my life anyway. Do you know? And so, and you see it, and it's, like, it's institutionalised, it's systemic, and it's, like, when people come at you with that kind of energy, the first thing I think, you know, inherently I would do was, like, oh, well, yep, I am, so here it is, you know, and I would kind of lean into it and (laughs) be, like, even naughtier, <laughs> and so, and and even more like, yeah, take it or leave it, man. Like this is what we're all like, you know. Like we're all just a bunch of this, and you know, whatever you think. And yeah. so, yeah, and so it was just, I think, also in terms of leaving, I became it became necessary yeah. as well, and it became necessary for my family. Yeah, it's, but that that you know that stupid uh, stereotypical kind of approach. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I know it was necessary to leave, but all of it's unnecessary. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things, and, and I do want to ask you about this, mm-hmm. is there was also a view mm-hmm. from Māori about, well, you know, who's she? Mm-hmm. She's not Māori enough. Mm-hmm. You know, born in Australia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. GI, all that. And it was of. absolutely. And I, and that was the thing. It was, and I think a lot of us growing up have, you know, if we, it shouldn't be a privilege to um, feel Māori enough. And I do feel like, thankfully, that conversation is shifting. Yeah. But I grew up very much um, desperately, like, wanting to be Pākehā. Do you know, like, it was this, I I wanted, I didn't, you know, even though I grew up and around, everyone I grew up around was brown, you know, we were all in some way removed from mm. who we are and... And it wasn't, you know, and the closest you got to it was, you know, counting to ten in Māori and doing like kapahaka, you know, and learning a couple of songs. And and especially growing up, I think, you know, in low socio, like, neighbourhoods in Tamaki Makoto, you know, and we, and so I, and I felt that very much like this, you know, even the experience of going and making Whale Rider you know, my whānau whakapapa to Tokumaru Bay just up the road, but I that wasn't um, something that ha- I'd ha- ever had access to, even though I knew those things, you know, and I felt very much like I wasn't allowed there, you know. It felt very much like, well, go on then, you know. Hemiana, you know, and it's like, I can't. I don't know how. I, you know, and it was just, I, you know, I've never been allowed to. I don't know what to say. And so there was this real kind of, well, are you Māori? <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't mm. know, you know. And so, and so I definitely felt a lot of that pressure as well, you know. And and I think, but I think a lot of us have felt that that you know we're not Pākehā enough and we're not Māori enough, and that I mean that is the displacement, mm. and that you know, and that does really intense stuff to someone's wairua, you know. And it took me a really long time and weirdly like I said it was when I first started really defending like you know I'd grown up as a little girl you know I used to hold on to this idea that I was born in Australia because it was my my way of being my it was my excuse it was you know it's not my fault that I don't know how to kōrero Māori I was born in Aussie you know my dad's Pākehā and and I had you know I think there was a lot of self-hatred and you know, not understanding of oneself. And then I went to America and people were like, well, you're white. And I'd be like, oh. <laughs> and I heard myself saying out loud, I'm Māori yeah. <laughs> for the first time in my life and defending it yeah. and feeling, you know, and, and feeling my blood itching and, fe- you know, and feeling myself, you know, when people would mistake me for being Pākehā, like, you know, fully or they would dismiss the fact that I was in any way brown, you know, or I would be in rooms where people are the white people might say things that they wouldn't say if they knew there was a brown person in the room. I would feel that thing when my blood would start to boil and I would go, oh, okay. You know, and so, but, you know, yeah, it took me leaving and being away to really start um, discovering that part of myself. Yeah, I understand that point. Yeah. I I remember going to America, I think it was when I was 16, and um, you you, not only do you miss home, (laughs) but you feel like – you know, I've got to be more. I've, I've got to be really staunch about my Maori ness. Oh, <laughs> you know, because a Americans don't really care about anyone else in the world. No, uh, and they don't know any much about New Zealand. They may have heard about the All Blacks or at that stage. Mm, they love the haka at the start of the All Blacks. Yeah, yeah, so yeah that's exactly. A, that's that's it. Yeah, I think at that time they knew about the America's Cup, and that was about it. And then they thought we were Australian. Um, and then, and at the time, actually, when I was there, it was kind of this is way before you were born, so it's, it's, it's almost <laughs> like pre prehistory here. But it was um, it was at the time the Iraq war had started. Mm-hmm. So anyone who looked brown, they immediately thought was right. Middle East. Yeah. Um, so when you're over there, you're like, no, 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 I'm going to be really staunch and proud Māori. And they go, hey, man, how do you say in your language mad dog puke on your face? Yeah. And yeah. then you try and come up with this loose translation of Māori. And they go, mean, yeah. that's awesome. Um, but, you know, I understand the point is that you do, when you're away from home, it's like you are, you become this staunch advocate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, and it is, it's like a, but then also too, like even in all my years, like those initial years, my early 20s especially, I would feel like this real staunch advocate for Māori, but I would feel safer doing it in America. And then I would come home and I would feel really fucking mad about it. And I would just kind of shut up. And I wouldn't, you know, and I. Even now? Not now. No. no. <laughs> in your twenties. Yeah. But I just like but I wouldn't feel you know, I wouldn't feel like I and especially too, I think there was whether it's a thing or not, like I personally felt, you know, there was this also within our Māori community, I'd left. Do you know? I wasn't contributing to our Māori, like, scene here. You know, I wasn't involved in it. You know, I was watching from afar enviously a lot of the time, wanting desperately to be involved, not knowing how to speak up, not knowing how to go, oh, my God, I would, I love your kaupapa. Can I, like, jump on that? Or can I come and, you know, support that? You know, just being scared, scared, scared. And so, 
And so it was this weird thing where I'd like go overseas and be staunch as and, and then I'd come home and just be, oh, kia ora. <laughs> you know? And so that's changed, thank goodness, but. Okay, so when did yeah. that change and how did that change? I think, I mean, you know, a lot of it is just also age and growing right. up. And I think also too, you know, I had such a interesting situation where because I started working so early, you know, my contemporaries are the people who were like my age when I started, yeah. you know, and so I had amazing people and like still do like around me who really affied me and never made me feel like I didn't belong or that I wasn't a part of. And, but I think with being young, that still, it doesn't matter how much success you have. It doesn't matter what you achieve. There is still a trajectory mm. in terms of maturity and in terms of like coming into your own skin and coming and being comfortable with who you are. And so even though I'd had all of the success and I had all these super successful mates and, you know, and they welcomed me in, I I still had all this, you know, I remember even, even silly things like, you know, they'd all get up and do karaoke and I'd be too shy to get up and sing. You know, like it was just like, oh gosh, you know, it's just all that silly stuff that you feel when you're uncomfortable, you know. And so I think, you know, as I started to grow up a little bit, um, even though I'd had all these really big life experiences and I, you know, had been exposed to a lot of situations that required a lot of maturity, I still had to do the work and get through that mm. stuff to actually really, for it all to line up and to be able to function the way that I like dreamed of myself functioning. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, what is your karaoke song, by the way? What's your go-to? Oh, I'm, you know what? I'm still really shy when it comes to karaoke. <laughs> what? It's, I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, oh, you know what? It's like, um, you know, it's like all Māori can sing and then I'm like, then I feel I'm like one of those Māori who goes, but I can't. But then I'm like, yeah, we all say that. <laughs> but really, we all like we all can't help ourselves. You know? Yeah. Well, the only reason I ask is because I'm not shy about it, but I, <laughs> I probably should be, <laughs> judging from the responses I've got from some people. I mean, you know, I just think that um, someone who is um, as multi-talented as you are, as supremely talented as you are, still has nervousness about mm -hmm. public displays of expression. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and and I think too, like that was, um, and even just outside of, you know, I'd also come up in an interesting way where I had a lot of imposter syndrome around being an actor because I hadn't traditionally, you know, I hadn't gone to Toy Fakati, I hadn't trained, I hadn't, you know, and so I remember doing a play when I was 19 or 20, you know, with some of, you know, the best actors we have. And, you know, and I was crippled with anxiety around we were, you know, there were 15 of us in the cast and in rehearsals we were every day someone was doing a warm-up, you know, activity, a warm-up exercise. You know, I hadn't, I just like come into acting and like, you know, on my own, like just using my like raw dog trauma <laughs> and not actually like do it, use it, you know, understanding the craft of it. Yeah. And so I was just like, I don't know any warm-up exercises. I don't know what these people are doing. Like, I'm looking around these rehearsals and they're like doing all this stuff with their mouths and their hands and they're playing all these games and they know all these tongue twisters. And I was just like, oh, where, like, what do I do? And I was just, every day, like I knew it was coming up my turn for this, 
you know, I had to pick the warm-up exercise and I was I must have been like shriveling as a person. And we I had one bro in the cast, thank goodness. And he must have picked up on it and he just said, Sis, just play duck duck goose. <laughs> and I was like, okay. You know, and so I was like, got to my chair, I was like, we're gonna be playing duck duck goose for a warm-up exercise. I'm an actor, I know how to do this. You know, but, it, you know, so I had, like, a lot of, um, I was, like, you know, really scared of that kind of stuff because I think, too, there was also, like, an interesting separation that happened where people would um, be so respectful but, like, they would revere, like, my success. And so I didn't feel like I had many people that I could really connect with. And, and I would always just be like, I just want to be, you know, like you guys and just all hang out and... You know, but I was. Oh, you mean they, yeah. they wouldn't? You know, like people would just be like, just oh, go like, to dinner or yeah, something. Yeah, like you go to dinner, you know, oh, like, wow. you know, but people would just be like, oh, but, you know, Keisha's Keisha and she's working and yeah. she's like, you know, the man doing her thing. And the whole time I'd just be like, I just want to be friends with everybody. <laughs> um, you know, and so, and I think, but I think too, like, I found it's so important. Like, once I also started talking about that stuff and yeah. saying out loud, oh, like, I get really nervous. Or, you know, I'm really outgoing, I'm really extroverted, but, like, I can feel, like, painfully shy in worlds that people might think I'm really comfortable in. You know, people would go, oh, my God, me too. You know, and it's, like, it's just amazing once you start talking about those things openly, right? You, you know, the thing that amazes me is that um, you're not the only one that said that. <laughs> um, who, you know, someone who is a very high profile, who is supremely talented, who is an actor... Academy Award nominated, all that kind of thing, but is is cripplingly shy, mm -hmm. um, which surprises a lot of people mm -hmm. <laughs> when, oh, they, when yeah. they hear that. I mean, even now, you know, we're talking. I don't get a sense of that no. at all. Yeah, it is. It's like, and I think too, because I think there's like, you know, and also too, it's, uh, you know, I've the life of an actor is like so fascinating because I think people really only see such a small part of it, mm. you know, and there is, there's the really, you know, the glamorous and the, you know, you can hear a makeup done, you're on a red carpet and, you know, but um, it's still mahi, you know, and it requires uh, real discipline and there's a lot of it that's pretty boring, you know, and there's a lot of it, you know, where, you know, I will be on the road for a really long time on my own, away from my family and living in hotel rooms or living in places that aren't my home and um, and you have to be, you know, super disciplined because you've got to wake up early every morning. You know, it's not. And I think, so it's like other actors, I think, who understand that trajectory of it. You know, everyone, we all know. Mm. We all go, you know, there's a lot of it. And in that, there's a lot of time on your own. Um, and so, and it can be a very, like, quiet job in that way. And, but, you know, it's such a – from the outside, we you know, you only get to see the fun bits. <laughs> and those parts are fun too. They're yeah. just different, you know. And so um, I do understand how there are a lot of performers who are really – who are shy or who are anxious or who get nervous. Do you mind if I ask mm -hmm. you about – something about process? Mm -hmm. I just – I'm going to try and remember the words. This speech is a token of love and respect for Koro Apirana, my grandfather. Mm -hmm. My name is Paikea Apirana. Pause. <laughs> a few tears. 
you go, bub, I think happens. I know, and I am a descendant from a long line of chiefs that stretches all the way back to Hawaii. I hope I've got it right. Yes. Anyway, yeah. The process that goes into something mm-hmm. like that, which is one of the most, I think, poignant and beautiful performances mm-hmm. I've seen, and I suspect many people agree with me on that. I mean, how do you do that? Because I don't know. I couldn't do that. Mm. It's so, it's taken like, it's so interesting to, you know, go back to that performance. Is it hard to talk about that given it's so long ago? No, not at all. Because I think it is so, but, you know, it really, you know, as a child you have access to parts of yourself that you don't know you need to hide or that you're not, you know. And I think that was a huge part of that, you know, and I... Nikki Caro is an incredible director who allows space and time and rehearsal and really respects actors and loves actors. And so I was given a perfect platform and to be able to build a performance like that without even really knowing what I was doing. Um, you know, now it's different. You know, now... It's, you know, like as we get older, I think, you know, we get more conscious and we get more aware of, you know, hiding parts of ourselves and, oh, that's yucky, I don't want to go into that and I don't want to look at that part of me and I'll just try to cry thinking about my dead cat versus, you know, the real stuff that hurts me. And so um, I think it was, it's so, yeah, it's like it was just such a raw like version of me as a child and and being in safe hands with people who like safely were able to see I think that um but then I do believe that it's like you kind of as we get older and like whether it applies to you know my acting or just in life we just spend like a lot of time I think trying to get back to that those parts of ourselves do you know, and the openness that children have. You still try to do that Oh, now. totally, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think I try to do that, like, in all parts of my life, you know, just to be more, to be less judgmental and to be less closed and to be more open. But you have to be willing to allow the vulnerability to come out. Now, exactly. That, that's, that's tough. Oh, very tough. And I think, um, but I think, do I do think that I've had something that maybe a lot of actors haven't had where you've, like, showing vulnerability at its, like, <laughs> highest space, you know, as, a, like, a small child, um, that it allowed me to remain quite vulnerable throughout my life. And even in the space of a film set, now, if I had started with the knowledge I have now as an adult and the understanding I have of my job and the hierarchy that exists, you know, I wouldn't have... The guts, you know, as a kid, I was precocious and probably annoying, but I just asked lots and lots of questions. What does that do? What does that light do? Why did you push that button on that camera? Why did you take the film out? Yes, I did start acting when there was still film. (laughs) (laughs) You know, where are you going to put it? How are you going to cut it up? You know, now, as a grown woman who's, you know, professional... I might be too scared to ask those things because, oh, I understand, oh, that person's doing their job, Keisha, shut up, he's busy, he, you know, he doesn't want to hear, he doesn't want to answer these questions. And so 
my even though it wasn't a traditional education, mm. you know, I didn't have to go to drama school, film school, I had such an incredible education in terms of the film industry because of that vulnerability, mm. because of my ability to not be scared and not know the rules and go. And I just wanted to know everything. I, you know, I was curious. I, and so, yeah, so it was, I think I'm really grateful for that because I think too in that it's allowed me to remain somewhat vulnerable throughout in you know in my job but also I have such a deep respect for the process of storytelling and filmmaking um to be, because I've been able to see it and ask questions about it like that but it, it takes yeah okay mm. I mean I, I, I get the point I mean uh, one of the things that strikes me though is mm -hmm. that um, it requires incredible innate talent doesn't it probably to be able to do yeah. it when you haven't been trained <laughs> yes and, you know, and that to that point, it took me um, a really long time to accept that, you know, that this is a gift and that what I do and what, you know, is a gift. And I was – and also, too, because I had so much fear around, like, where do you go? Like, it's like I'd never done anything in my life. I made a movie and then was – nominated for the highest accolade that people spend their whole lives working toward. Like, where to from here? And, you know, and as a child, it's really hard to comprehend that anything that isn't meeting that isn't a failure. Mm. And so I felt like if I wasn't continually winning every single award or, like, reaching those kinds of levels of performance, then I wasn't good, you know, and that's and I would equate that to, well, maybe I wasn't, you know, I was just good in that or mm. I wasn't meant to do that. And now I understand, you know, that it's a gift and that it is a talent and um, and it requires, you know, a lot of hard work and dedication, but, it, you know, it helps when it comes, when it's what you're meant to be doing as well. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it really does. And I do, and I love, I love to like, encourage people to like find what it is you know everyone we all have it doesn't have to be you know acting in big movies we all have a gift we all have something to give we all have something to offer and it's like when you find those spaces in yourself they should they feel true and they feel you know to who you are and now I feel that you know now I'm very much I'm an actor I'm an actor I'm an actor <laughs> I I you know it took me a really long time to be able to say that out loud yeah yeah I mean, I think the um, the other thing is is that um, you know how some of us know that you're really good at it is because you've been on Star Wars, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which you know, for some of us who grew up um, at at a time when, or were born actually when Star Wars first came out, which makes makes us incredibly old actually. <laughs> um, um, you know, but but everything else that you've done and and. Do you think, by the way, do you think a body of work, like, do you think, mm, okay, I haven't done enough of that, I need to do those kind of roles? Or do you just, because, you know, because you're so good at it, you can do anything, I suppose. But, you know, are you literally one of these people who go, right, I need to do that, I need to do something like that now? Okay, I, I think I used to, like, I've definitely chilled out a bit. Oh, yeah, okay. And to, I used to be much more, um, you know, I need to do more of this thing in order to, like, prove that I'm good at, you know, I should do more movies or more, you know, yeah. want to be in a franchise or whatever. Um, I, you know, now it's so fast. I mean, I've, 
I guess it's like 21 years since I did Whale Rider. And so that in itself, like to successfully have a career, I've been fortunate enough that I've never um, done anything else. I mean, you know, I've done lots of other things, but you know, in terms of <laughs> yeah. to you know to to feed myself, to feed my, to look after my family, to yeah. make money, I've never um, done anything else, and that is hugely successful. Yeah, and so and it is, it's you know, it's an interesting job. It's so you're you know, you're really only ever kind of as good as the last thing you do, and it's all you know, everyone kind of starts again every time, and. Oh, so um, that maxim is true, is that you yeah. literally think, oh. done that, it's got to be good, and if I'm not good at it, then I might not get to my Might not get to, you know, might not right. get the next job. You know, and it's like, and nothing is, and it is really an industry where nothing's guaranteed. And and how much tougher, maybe mm. actually it's easier, more of an asset, but, you know, uh, eldest is 16 now, mm-hmm. and a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that makes it interesting, yeah. particularly when you're lonely, and probably during COVID too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you would. Yeah, you would have baby twenty twenty one. Yeah, during COVID. Yeah. Holy heck! Um, yeah, definitely. And it's can't come home. No, couldn't come home. Was really tough, but it is like it's even fascinating now. Like having a teenager, um, to think like of you know like where I was at that point in my life because like you know I've done what I think you know a lot of parents we do we want to give our children the version of the childhood that we didn't have and then they don't want it. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, like it's like I've got an amazingly beautiful teenage daughter who, you know, it's like I was like working full time <laughs> at your age. What's up? You know, <laughs> can you give me a hand, please? Um, and so, but it is, it's, you know, it's really, it really excites me. Like my children excite me in terms of um, having a parent that, like, to see a parent that is doing what they love. I think that is, like, such an important part. I think, you know, I think as as mama and as woman, there is so much expectation in the world that, you know, that you can do it all, but, like, also don't talk about it and don't tell anyone and don't complain. And, and you know, and I staunchly feel you know it's like beyond being a feminist I staunchly see in my day-to-day life with my colleagues like my male colleagues and never asked where their kids are they're Mm. never asked you know how do they how do they balance parenthood and children you know I'm like it's like a normal question to ask a woman you know and it's um it's really important to me especially having daughters that they see the superpower of woman, the mm. superpower of wahine. I think that women innately have an incredible ability to balance lots of things at once and to remain empathetic but still very much be in charge. And it's so, like, exciting to me. That, like, really is, like, what drives me mm. these days. Like, I love that. I love that my kids get to see that. I love that they get to grow up with a mum who... You know, it's like, that is human. Like, I'm, you know, do the best I can. Like, I'm not perfect, that's for sure. You know, like, I'm, you know, but at the same time, they see someone who is living in their truth and really going for, you know, like, I, my integrity is really important. Well, I, you know, my career is really important and that, and I want that for them in whatever capacity that is. Right now, you know, 
you know, the baby, maybe she will, but my teenager wants nothing to do with <laughs> the film industry. I'm like, if I were you, I would be banking on this nepotism. <laughs> I'm like, I did not work this hard for my daughter not to somehow benefit <laughs> off what I have done. But so I'm like hoping she comes around. You know? No, look, uh, I, I, I know what you're saying because yeah. I've got an 18-year-old who I, I actually don't think likes her father. <laughs> the one in which she acts. But anyway, let alone has any interest in what her father's mm. doing in, in his in his profession. Where, where are you nowadays? Are you at home or are you in America? I, or live, New, I heard New York. Yeah, I live in New York, um, which is awesome. really cool. <laughs> never, ever, ever. A little girl growing up on Line Road in GI, <laughs> never thought that I'd be like living in New York City. Um, I, in recent years... It's, you know, when I first left Aotearoa, I really, I left with this idea that I probably wouldn't come back. And that if I did come back, it would not be, it would be like on my own terms and it would be very quietly. And it, you know, it would be some version of coming back I and not working I understand given here. the reasons and everything right? you know, was going like on it was when just this yeah. really, yeah. and so um, in the last few years, something interesting kind of shifted where I, I had another peppy that changed a lot and I all of a sudden went, oh, I really feel like I need to move home. I really feel like I, you know, was like, Tupuna were like annoying me and like I was just like <laughs> really? lots of dreams about being home and oh, like wow. my, like why do I like, you know, I'd feel flat, I'd miss home, I'd, you know, I'd go like take a swim in the Moana and I'd still be like my husband is a surfer and, you know, and I'd be like, oh, but it's not mine. You know, it's, you know, like <laughs> yeah, it yeah. My, my cup just wasn't getting yeah. filled and I just felt really strongly and I'd never really felt that before. Um, and I also felt really strongly like I wanted to like come home and work here and tell our stories and be, you know, uh. a, a part of and involved in all these spaces that I'd kind of, scaredy cat looked in from the outside before um so it's been a really interesting time but I'm yeah we're definitely slowly um working on coming home full time what does that telling our stories part <laughs> look like I think you know I think it's really we've got such an interesting industry in New Zealand and it's in definitely interesting yeah no it. it's it's shifted it's small we all know that yeah. right and it's shifted, but I do think that sometimes it's like this idea of like integration versus collaboration. And I think that there has been a big push for this like conscious idea of like integrating Māori stories into Pākehā systems and we just have to, you know, and, we, and it's become this like box tick you know, and then it's like, and if you're Māori and you, and we have many who are like trailblazing, then like you go do your own thing over there and cool, we'll, whatever, but we'll just keep doing what we do over here. And I do really feel like there is like so much more space for a more collaborative industry that utilises the systems that we do have and honours the way that other people work and that allows people and allows people to tell stories in their way. Yeah. And for their voices to be heard. Yeah. And it doesn't have to exist in a, oh, you go over, yeah, you can do that, but do it over there, you yeah. know? And it's like, well, we have, you know, and it's like, and then also too, on both sides of the fence, we, Māori, can be a little guilty of going, I don't want to make my stuff over there anyway, because yeah. that institution is, well, you know what? 
sometimes I believe it can be a little remiss to like not use the resources that exist either. And so what does that look like? It's a big concept and I don't know if yeah, I'm the person to look, figure it out. Yeah. But it's but it is something that I see and I do feel like as someone who has been fortunate and does have some element of privilege to have access to both yeah. spaces. I see the opportunity. You're right. It's a massive question. And you're right. You, you probably have some unique capabilities that can, I don't know, bust some things down. I mean, look at what Chelsea and them are doing Exi- in distribution yeah. alone, right? And that is something that they felt was a requirement simply because they weren't being able to get the access through other distribution platforms to be able to do what they needed to do. So there's probably different points that you could have really profound impact on. Uh, and I and I am curious to, to see where that leads. Um, but you're right. I mean, it is, um, and, you know, there's some fears, for example, with Writer's Strike at the moment. Uh, even before that, you know, lots of the big productions were going to Australia. They weren't coming here. Um, and even though New Zealand had the attraction of, you know, scenery and people and the way in which we work and all that kind of thing, it still felt like the production sector was moving away from us, not here. Yes. And we were missing out on opportunities. Absolutely. And I think, too, like a lot of it, I think also comes in, and this is collectively, this is Māori, Pākehā, Pacifica, like collectively trusting our own voices mm-hmm. and trusting that we have stories to tell, you know, and trusting that we're capable of telling them. Is there a story you know, that, that you want to tell now? Many, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, I, yeah, I, there's many stories. I think... You know, there. I would like to tell. I think there's like a really cool thing happening with like a younger generation at the moment that has like moved away from a more stereotypical version of like what a story is. And I think a lot of that has existed for a long time because things have felt like a little tokenistic, mm. you know. And and that idea of you know, it's like putting you know, a brown person in a show and then it's being like, see, we did it. And it's like, mm, no, <laughs> that's not it. You know, it's about that that all of these stories that we've seen already on television and film here in Aotearoa, they exist from all different perspectives. That there is not a version of a Pacifica lens. There is not a Māori lens. There is not a Pākehā lens. Like that, that these experiences exist for all and that every time you see a Māori family on TV, they do not have to sit down and do a karakia before they eat. Do you know? And it's like, if they do and it's appropriate to do, great. Mm. But like, there's also versions of the West family from Outrageous Fortune who are brown. You know, and the, and, and, and kind of, and that's, I don't know, like if that is that coherent, but it's what I'd like to see more of, you know, like I'd like to, and that's what I mean, like in terms of just voices true to people's experiences versus what we think the experience is based on where they're from. Wow. Yeah. That sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is is this something that's going to happen pretty quickly, do you think? I, I mean, I know, I know yeah. Writer's Strike and stuff yeah. is having a massive impact yeah. and I don't know when you have to get back mm-hmm. to America because you're – what series are you in, by the way, of FBI? Is it five? We're in five, yeah. yeah. So, but so you have to go back there eventually <clears throat> at some point. Eventually, stage, right? yeah. Well, you know, I I think, you know, I hopefully I've been – I'm like working on a show at the moment that – which is exciting that I created, which is about – you know, a family in Glen Innes. I don't know where I would get that, you know, inspiration <laughs> from. Um, because those stories, you know, are important to me. Yeah. 
you know, and they and I think too, it's funny because there Sorry, is you're doing that now. Yes, yeah, and there is like an old adage of you know people always say like writers that the big thing is like write what you know, write what you know, and mm. I think and also too like that like so that also like trickles down into you know there is a lot of like we make. I know there's like we make a lot of like heavy cinema in Aotearoa and <laughs> and like deal with like a lot of really heavy themes and dark stuff and particularly particularly through a brown lens you know like and and I had a pretty heavy childhood but like I remember it in a really light way because light is what gets you through that you know, and actually, like, when people are going through, like, really heavy shit, like, no one's talking about it. Mm. No one's, you know, oh, we've got to sit down, have a cup of tea and have a talk about how we're all really living, you know, got a shitty life. It's like, you know, my life was really, you know, it was, I my memories of my childhood are really, like, bright and bubbly and, like, the, you know, and supportive and, like, the community that we had. And so um, I'm really excited to maybe try and flip that stuff a little bit and 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 do it, you know, and I think, you know, we have people who, you know, are doing it in yeah. really beautiful ways already. But it would be nice if that just becomes more accessible and more yeah, I think the I, norm and not these one off. I think it's a good point that balance between light and shade. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, we are full of mirth <laughs> <laughs> and laughter and warmth and empathy. And maybe it's just because it's harder to do. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It just seems to be that, you know, particularly when we talk about our development as a people and mm -hmm. our social interaction and colonisation and all that kind of stuff is that because of the profound impacts of colonisation is that that's a story that we like to talk about a lot because maybe we need to constantly remind ourselves of that. Yeah. And, you know, Tibino Regan says is that we need to remember to remember. But you're right. I think the balancing bit around, you know, warmth and beauty and laughter and, as I say, mirth is something that people, I think, would be really encouraging of. And, you know, if there's ever a requirement in the film for, you know, um, uh, you know, a podcast interviewer to make a... <laughs> exactly. I'll keep you in mind. I'll keep you in mind. <laughs> you know, or somebody who thinks they can sing karaoke but can't, um, then you, you know who to call. But I just think that, um, yeah, you're right, that, you know, not just GI but just... just Places in Auckland, and yes, we tell a lot of Auckland stories. Um, but um, do we see those internationally? No, no and I, that, and that's and that's to that point. That is like another big thing that I think, you know, there's places like Ireland and places like in Scandinavia throughout. They do like such a wonderful job of making content that feels so true to them, yeah. and yet they're all stories that we relate to. They're all things that we watch and eat up and go whole, like you know, and like yeah, it's a different dialect, it's a different language, the people look different, but they're you know they're stories that we understand, and that you know, I think there is still there's still some kind of version in New Zealand of making stuff still. For, uh, for the outside versus making it, you know. We're not – I still don't see that, you know. Like, we just – we can really just be, like, so hoha with each other and not supportive of our own, yeah. you know. And that is, like – that is across the board and particularly in the arts. It's like, you know, you – why aren't our local musicians' gigs, like, packed to – I mean, you know, unless you're 660. But, do you know, like, just, like, packed out, you know, and it's just – but yet, you know, we have a whole culture here where, like, everyone, like – deeply like 
you know, loves East Coast rap, you know. And so it's just being, you know, and I think there's still this, we still make things sometimes like for how other people will perceive us. It's it's a really debilitating thing, the way in which we do that to ourselves, <laughs> yeah. right? I, I don't get it. No, me neither. <laughs> I'm, and the other thing is too, like I, um, after years and years of like feeling a little shut out by Aotearoa in like lots of different ways, I still am so, so proud that I'm from here. Mm. I think that we have such an abundance of talent. I think that we are so, so fortunate. And and I love being overseas and I love flying our flag and I love being like, yeah, man. And, you know, and now it is kind of interesting because there is like – in my industry, it's become a lot more accessible internationally. And there is like, you know, Kiwis pop up on every set. Mm. You know, it's like every job I'm doing, oh, there's one, there's one, you know, like, <laughs> Kilda Bro, you know, like we're, we're everywhere, you know. Yeah. And it's like there's a demand for that. There's yeah. a demand for something that we have internationally and we're not recognising it ourselves. You know, we're still going, oh, well, that person left, you know. And it's like, guys, <laughs> yeah, you know, like – you know, it's like, you know, and it's just, oh, I don't know what the, like, greater healer of that is. Yeah. But, you know, there's this, you know, we still do it. It's like this tall poppy thing. It's a chip on our shoulders. It's, you know. Yep. You know, you know a country that's that's actually the opposite and really good at being the opposite of that is Australia. Very. <laughs> and um, to They're the point, so good at it to the point where I always say, like, yeah. Australians are, like, more American than Americans. You oh, know, yeah. they're just... Well, I've got an Aussie mate of mine who, you know, who I talk to uh, irregularly because um, he does my head in. <laughs> but, um, you know, I told him, oh, yeah, and I'm talking to, you know, a couple of people and I mentioned your name. He goes, oh, she's an Aussie. And you, you know what? It really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no. It really pissed me off because I was going, no, no, no. And then, you know, obviously yeah. born in Australia. And he goes, no, no, no. But the way that they look after their own and talk about oh their my own gosh. is completely different. And right? also, too, they've, they've cre- I mean, it's obviously it's a lot bigger. So there's like economical, yeah. you know, questions about it. But at the same time, there is an environment that feels more exciting, I think. Um, you know, even just in my profession alone, like, Aussie actors like love going home and making stuff, you know, like no matter how big they get, yeah. you know, and and that just doesn't feel like something that happens as much here. Like, yeah. you know, it's just kind of the stepping stone at some point is getting out. Yeah. And then once you're out, like there's not really the option to come back, you know, and it's like, well, how do we shift that? Like how do we be more excited about, you know, what we do and own our stuff more? You know what? I never thought we'd get into an Aussie conversation. <laughs> But it happens, yeah. and it kind of organically appears, and and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, fascinating mm-hmm. topic because I mean it still happens in Aotearoa now. Mm-hmm. You know, you you don't live at home, so therefore you don't get to have a say on. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. You don't. Yeah, you haven't been here. You yeah, don't yeah, know. Yeah. I'll go back to Auckland as well. Yeah, I, I yeah. 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 It is a thing, eh? Very much. Yeah, and I think it's it can be you know. I think for all of us, right? It can when you it can be exhausting, right? You know, it's an exhausting part of our culture here. Yeah. You know, to it's just like, oh my gosh, like we can be just haters. Yeah. And we're just you know, and it's we've got a we've really got a lot to celebrate. Mm. And um and we just, yeah, sometimes can't push ourselves. But I think, you know, I can be guilty of it. We can all be guilty of it. I was, you know, I used to 
for years, like I was just such a hater about New Zealand. You know, like I was just like, oh, you know, yeah, it's my home, but oh, whatever, you know. You, and you it's, kept that pretty quiet, though. No, but you know, and it's so, but it's so funny because like you're when you say you're like when you're overseas and you say you're from here. Like people just, oh my god, you know? Yeah, they gush. Why would you live here? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's my, it's a, it's a bucket list destination yeah. for majority of people in the world, yeah. you know. And it's just, you know, it was really interesting. My Tani, he's from New York, and um, it was such like a healing part of my life. I remember when I brought him home to Aotearoa, and just to be able to like see, particularly Auckland, because I, you know, it's like the city I ride and die for, but, like, also get me out. <laughs> but, like, you know, and so it's just to see through the lens of yeah. someone that I really respect and love, yeah. this place that I have, like, got so much, you know, it's just, like, memories yeah. and and so much, like, trauma. And, you know, and just I was like, oh, it was really nice to watch it through his eyes and just go, wow, like, this is, oh, that's cool that you see it that way and, and maybe, yeah, it is that. And maybe it is this big, beautiful, yeah. you know. You know, you're right. Because yeah. I, I would have thought I had a mate from America come over and I would have thought he'd look at the Harbour Bridge and go, that ain't a bridge. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sky Tower, yeah. that ain't a tower. Yeah. You know, all that kind of thing. But no, they see everything we tend to not think about. Absolutely. What a beautiful harbour. Take yeah. it up to Tuggerfro. Oh, my gosh. How yeah. much, you know, all, all that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. Wow, so much more to talk about. <laughs> I wish we had more. I wish we had more time. We do have more time. Anyway, yeah. we could we could keep yeah. going. Um, the other thing, and, and um, I mentioned this off camera, but I'll mm. mention it on camera, yeah. is I've got this photo of you, me, and a fella called Peelback. His proper name's Tefetu McCorkendale, <laughs> but no one in the industry will know that. His, his name is, for all intents and purposes, Peelback. Um, and for years I've tried to f figure out a way of cutting him out. <laughs> <laughs> because if I could, it'd be worth millions. Uh, <laughs> um, um, but the reason why I raise that is because... Um, you know, I just, I just want you to know, mm -hmm. and this will sound really kind of patronising and um, dodderish, and maybe even potentially stalker, unquote-ish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so don't take it in that way. But you know, we're very proud of what you've done. Oh, thank you. And continue to do. And um, I just wish you the best, best for it. You know. Thank you. Just keep going. Yeah. And um, come home. And then help us change the world, you know? Hopefully. I mean, you know, I feel really excited about um, coming home. And I feel really excited about maybe what I can offer in terms of shifting things, mm. you know? And, and even, you know, I think a really big thing that I've discovered throughout the course of my career, and particularly in terms of, like, my relation to here is like I said, like there's still such a, a lot of times like particularly for Māori who grow up, you know, as with like in systemic, as systemic results of like our colonisation. Mm -hmm. And um, it's still, the big thing for me is accessibility. It's accessibility to spaces and to education and to, even seeing people around you that are doing things, you know, and that is such a huge, huge important mm. part of allowing people to believe, children to believe that there are options for them. 
and, um, you know, and I see that even, even in my industry, you know, there's pe- lots of people who are still, you know, like, you know, doing the work, but it's still, they still didn't come from the spaces I came from. And, um, and that was something I was really scared of for a really long time and it was something I wanted to hide and it was something that didn't feel very pretty. And um, now I really, really strongly believe like that is my superpower. Mm. Like my superpower is that I've been there, I know what that is. I know how that feels. I know how that feels to not have options. And I hope that I can be someone in our communities to facilitate just a space for those people to be able to see that there are different options, you know, for all of us. Well, when you're ready to come home, there's houses available <laughs> in Mount Albert, <clears throat> or as we call it, Monal Bear. <laughs> Monal Bear. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's no GI, but it's mm-hmm. you know, uh, just in case you, you're looking for that. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining Indigenous 100. Namahi nui kia koe. Namahi.